Welcome to Beijing's Daily News. Today is 11th of October 2022. Today, we'll be covering an opinion piece on the effect of rising inflation for crypto, hyper apps, and a quantitative analysis on Ethereum post merge. Let's get to it. On October the 10th, KOL Cumberland posted his views on the topic of the end of 2% inflation on Twitter. The following are his main points. In the face of daunting, at best, or even unsurmountable supply-side challenges, expecting a higher inflation target now seems like a rational base case. If this policy change is implemented, tacitly or otherwise, it would be a watershed moment for Bitcoin. The reason why is rooted in two trade-offs. 1. Lost of faith. Hiking inflation targets is a slippery slope. It is just another form of quantitative easing. Number 2. Rising inequality. Assets and opportunities that insulate against the ravages of inflation are unavailable to most people. During these regimes, capital tends to flow into assets that appreciate. Until crypto, these assets were either hard, for example real or financial, but now they can be digital too. And unlike all other assets, the digital variety is universally accessible by design. This is historic. Some would argue that crypto has been a poor inflation hedge during this particular bear market. While true so far, it's important to remember that crypto is a debasement hedge, not an inflation hedge. In other words, Bitcoin won't protect the portfolio from a few hot CPI prints, but sustained, tolerated inflation is just another form of fiat currency debasement, a backdrop against which crypto performs spectacularly. Ultimately, it seems unlikely that both monetary policymakers and elected lawmakers would join forces to unleash both the Voltarian firestorm and the fiscal austerity that it would actually take to bring inflation under 2%. Thus, unless we're dealt a deflationary tech miracle, maybe cold fusion, or a higher inflation target or bankruptcy cycle that are the only ways out of this situation, but if our central banks choose the former, a crypto summer is right around the corner. On October the 10th, KOL Jai tweeted about HyperApp, and here are his main points. A HyperApp is an application like a website that is wholly or partially governed by token holders. In the same way that token holders govern Aave, HyperApps enable governance of Google or any consumer app. HyperApps may have three key parts. 1. Immutable storage. 2. Version control and administration. 3. Execution. HyperApps can then be governed by a DAO, a multi-sig or any on-chain actor. Who would be a good target for hyperapps? Well, potentially wallets, which enable governance over things like a front-end fee switch, or sites relying on user-generated content, such as bootstrapped content with token rewards. And lastly, possibly non-profit sites, which enable the community to directly govern. We could apply all of our learnings from token and protocols onto a whole new piece of the stack. This gets fun really fast. We could soon be living in a world where a token or address governs every site with an immutable on-chain history. Value may accrue our application interfaces like Uniswap, the protocol. This enables exponential outcomes of interface application. Millions of new tokens, governance of every site, DAOs of contributors. This is a pretty exciting future. On October the 5th, KOL Taken's Theorem published an article titled Consensus at the Threshold on Medium. And here are her main points. Consensus is the backdrop of crypto, and so, not surprisingly, it is a topic of much discussion and debate. Ethereum after the merge is no exception. 
there is concern that proof-of-stake validators have become too concentrated in the hands of a few and that there are some censoring transactions. This concern about concentration is made worse by a trend observed by many after the merge. Some block builders are still avoiding tornado transactions. Indeed, Flashbots, the largest and most successful block builder, avoids tornado transactions completely at the time of this writing. This represents a drawdown for these privacy-preserving transactions of somewhere between 30-40% to 40 of blocks. A key dispute in this issue is whether avoiding blocks with OFAC-sanctioned addresses is required. There has been no such specific advice from the US government. Though it is quite rational to abide by local jurisdictions, the fuzziness of the situation causes some debate. Ethereum now has hundreds of thousands of unique validator addresses. This represents significant overlapping entities. Sybil issues, see if it scans dashboard from some statistical on depositors. But it still means that Ethereum's proof of stake has extremely high potential decentralization. If all depositors ran their own nodes, there might be many thousands of independent unique entities proposing blocks, but its decoupling of proposers and builders brings a second chance of concentration, the block builders. A concern here is that there are incentives that hold between builders and proposers because builders affect the profit margins of node operators. That means that a highly successful builder can lower the decentralization of the network. To continue hearing more, please subscribe to bishingventures.substack.com for daily newsletter and follow Twitter account Bishing Ventures to hear the rest. This is Celine from Bishing Ventures. Thank you for listening and we will see you tomorrow.